if you have your copy of God's Word there with you, and let me invite you to take it and be turning with me once more to the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 contains perhaps what is one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible, and it is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We've been in a study throughout the book of Daniel over the last several weeks, and our study has brought us to this sixth chapter. We began looking at this story in just the first ten verses or so uh, last week in our time together. But I want to return to Daniel chapter 6 and continue this, uh, the story of Daniel in the lion's den and look at it uh, in its entirety. So if you've got your Bible there, I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 1. The Bible says that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement. They found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, nor the injunction that you've signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. 
He labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. The king commanded. Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. And then at break of day, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They and their children and their wives and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. And then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28 says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The story of Daniel and the lion's den, very, very familiar story. But it's a story that illustrates how the world often truly views a righteous life. And really it reminds us of what can be expected in the life of the person who lives for the approval of heaven rather than the approval of the world. You might could say that as you approach this sixth chapter, uh, we find Daniel in somewhat of a dilemma. Now, you know what the dilemma is. Uh, you've been in a dilemma at some point in your life, I'm sure. But a dilemma is defined as a situation in which a difficult decision has to be made between two alternatives. In Daniel's life, on one hand, uh, he could have made the choice to follow the king's edict and save his own skin. On the other hand, he could make the choice to continue to pray and worship and faithfully serve God 
and become food for the lions. But you see, for Daniel, it really was no dilemma at all because Daniel's mind is already made up. You might could say that Daniel has the right perspective on his situation. All of us know that perspective in life is a very important thing. I heard the story about a man who came across three stone cutters who were hard at work. And each one was busy cutting a block of stone. And so interested to find out what they were working on, the man asked the first stone cutter what he was doing. And the guy said, well, I'm cutting a stone. Still no wiser, the man turned to the second stone cutter and asked him what he was doing. And the guy said, well, I'm cutting this block of stone to make sure that it's square, its dimensions are uniform, and that it'll fit perfectly in place inside of a wall. Well, that was a little bit more information that the man was looking for, but he still uh, didn't have his answer uh, or his question fully answered. And so he asks the third stone cutter, what is it that you're doing? And the third stone cutter looks at him and says with enthusiasm, I'm building a cathedral. See, the thing is, that guy had the right perspective. Your perspective is your outlook on something. It's the way that you view life in the world. Your perspective is the attitude that you possess toward your circumstances. Dr. Chuck Swindoll says that perspective is a rare gift of vision that allows us to see good and evil for what they are without us becoming naive or cynical in the process. It means that we look at life from a biblical point of view. Now, obviously, we know that because we're sinners, uh, our life is so short, our vision is so narrow, uh, we're unable to fully grasp all that God is doing behind the scenes in our lives. And that's often why when we experience pain, or suffering in some way, we buy into this false assumption that the godly ought to be spared from their trials. You're familiar with the expression, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's a true expression. But often we forget that God's plan for our lives involves pain. It involves disappointment. It involves trials. And that's something that Daniel here in this sixth chapter understands. Daniel has a deeper perception in life because of his many years walking through trials. Now, by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is around 80 years of age. Most of his life has been spent there living in exile in Babylon. And Daniel had not bought into the lies of the enemy that, life for a believer is uh, an easy thing. He understood that it's a difficult thing. Uh, He understood the fact that he's a pilgrim on his way home. Uh, His hope is in heaven. God uses the patient endurance of his servants for his glory, and Daniel understands this. And so the most difficult trial of his life is this story that we're presented with here in Daniel chapter 6. Now, we've read the story, but as we work our way through the story, there are several things that I want to uh, call to your attention. Notice with me, number one, the promotion that Daniel receives. I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because we dealt with these first few verses uh, of the chapter uh, in our last time together. 
But as the story begins, Darius is king over the Medes and the Persians. And as he organizes his government, he needs some men that he could trust in three high positions. And these positions were responsible for leading 120 other satraps, uh, which basically were governors. He had sectioned off his empire into 120 different divisions. And so it's the principle of administration here. Uh, Verse 2 says that Daniel is one of these three trusted uh, officials. So trustworthy is he that the very next verse says that he becomes distinguished above all of these other higher officials and satraps. There's something about Daniel that makes him stand out. Uh, Daniel has something that these others lacked. Uh, We know that the Bible says he has an excellent spirit. Uh, In other words, he has the right attitude. Uh, Daniel is someone uh, in whom the Spirit of God is at work. God's hand is on Daniel's life. And so because of this, uh, Darius plans to set him over the whole kingdom uh, sort of as a vice regent or prime minister. So Daniel's a man of character. Uh, He's a man of integrity. He's a man who can be entrusted with great responsibility. Daniel's a man of consistency. And we know that God had so arranged the circumstances of Daniel's life to bring him to this point. Now, all of us would do well to remind ourselves of this truth when we're in the midst of painful circumstances that we don't quite understand. God was using the adversity in Daniel's life to bring Daniel to the place where God wanted him to be. It's the same lesson that Joseph learned long before Daniel. And it's often in our disappointments in life uh, that God strips away those things that we tend to hold on to uh, so that he can teach us the truth that he is really all that we need. And that's something that Daniel is learning himself in his own life. So he's about to face the crisis of his life in this chapter. And honestly, I believe that the crisis Daniel's about to face here is designed in such a way to bring Darius to the saving knowledge of God. Uh, God's going to be working in Daniel's life, bringing trials and hardships into his life because God wants to do something through his life. Uh, he's going to bring Darius to this place of understanding, spiritual understanding, where Darius is going to know that God is the one true God. God had done the same thing in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and we saw this earlier in the book of Daniel. So that brings up a very important question. What if the trials that we face in life, ultimately they're not about us, but they're about God? They're about His purposes, It's about God who's working through us to achieve his own purposes in the world. So Daniel receives a promotion. Now, uh, there's a second thing here in the text that I want you to notice, and it's this, uh, pressure. Notice the pressure that Daniel faces on the heels of this promotion. Uh, Verse 4 says that those other officials in the government began to look for a complaint against Daniel. Uh, They go on the attack. Uh, They try to dig up some dirt. Um, They try to find something on Daniel uh, so that they can use it against Daniel. So really the pressure comes in his life as his success makes him a target. Uh, 
And so the point is, when you live as a man or a woman of conviction, don't be surprised when you become marked in life. It's a lie that says men and women of faith are always comfortable. Those who hold to biblical conviction are always comfortable in this world. In reality, the opposite is true. Living a life of righteousness will put you at odds with a world that hates those things. And we see this illustrated in Daniel's life. He's a godly man, but it meant that he made some enemies along the way. It meant that he's a man living under pressure. He's a faithful servant. He's going about his business with integrity. But for some reason, Daniel becomes the target of his colleagues. They become envious of Daniel. Uh, That's why they're wanting to bring him down. Daniel was about to be appointed as vice regent over the whole kingdom. And Daniel's integrity was perhaps a threat to their greed. I imagine that they had been using their position uh, to line their own pockets, uh, to skim from the top that which belonged to King Darius. And so if there was a man at the top who held them accountable, a man of integrity, a man of stewardship, then that meant that their bottom line would be affected. And so they began to come up with this conspiracy against Daniel, looking for some kind of dirt on Daniel, Uh, trying to find some skeletons in his closet. But the Bible says in verse 4 that they can find nothing. They find no ground for complaint or any fault because Daniel was faithful. No error or fault was to be found in him. Which, by the way, that's a very rare thing. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many a man will proclaim each his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Uh, The very next verse says that a a righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed as a result of it. So here you have Daniel. He's a man of faithfulness, a man of integrity, and yet he's still experiencing pressure as the result of it. And so when his co-workers can't find any ground for complaint with regard to Daniel's responsibility, his work ethic. Uh, he, he was a man who could be trusted. They come up with this plan to try to pit his faith against the law of the land. Uh, they contrived this evil plan that involved engineering a clash between the law of God and the law of the state. And they knew that Daniel was a man who was totally surrendered to the Lord. And so they knew that given the option, given the choice, Daniel would disobey the law of the land rather than disobeying the law of his God. So they used the law to their advantage. Um, they, they taught King Darius into coming up with this plan or this law, which basically um, outlawed prayer for 30 days. No man in the land could petition any god or petition any man except King Darius himself. And so they appealed to the king's pride and his ego and basically say, King, for 30 days, if anybody has any need whatsoever, they shouldn't call on the name of their god. Uh, They should uh, cry out to you because you're the one who meets the needs of your people. And so Darius, verse 9 says, he signed the document He signed the injunction. And so that means that Daniel is in a dilemma. So he's been promoted. 
He's facing pressure. But notice the third thing. Uh, notice his persistence. Consider the persistence that Daniel shows in response to this decree from King Darius. When there were men who were out to get him, men who were conspiring against him on all sides, Daniel exhibits a peace and a persistence through it all that's nothing short of remarkable. I mean, it's not as though he's clueless as to what was happening around him. Daniel is fully aware of the gravity of the situation. Uh, he knows that those who break this law or this injunction, they're destined to be thrown to the lion's den. Daniel's aware of that, but he's not filled with panic. The pressure that he's under is intense, but the way that Daniel carries himself through it all, you'd hardly know that he's a man under pressure. Even though his world is rocked, his life doesn't come unraveled under the pressure because of what he has at the center of his life. What does Daniel do? Well, look at verse 10. When he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God just as he had done previously. So his life wasn't changed as a result of the law being changed. Daniel kept on worshiping. He kept on praying. He kept on trusting. I heard a quote uh, that's attributed to Hudson Taylor, uh, the founder of the China Inland Mission. But Hudson Taylor said that it doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. In other words whether it comes between you and your relationship with God or whether it presses you nearer and nearer to the heart of God. Now, how do you respond to the pressure that you're under in life, the crisis that you experience in life, the painful, difficult circumstances that you often encounter in life? Is it something that comes between you and God and your world falls apart? Or is it something that presses you nearer to your Father's heart? The pressure in Daniel's life presses him nearer to the heart of God. And so Daniel's praying. He's crying out to the Lord. Notice he's giving thanks. Uh, he's exhibiting the attitude of devotion uh, that the Apostle Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Daniel illustrates that truth here in this text. In fact, the Greek word that's used for guard there in Philippians 4-7, the peace of God that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, it's a word that means to protect by military garrison. Often in those days, in ancient cultures, um, a, a, a garrison of troops uh, would often protect a city from hostile invaders. And that's kind of the idea that the Apostle Paul has in mind. Uh, he's saying that the peace of God, the peace that God gives, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, it's something that surpasses all understanding. In other words, there's no explanation for the peace that you have in your heart. I mean, when you look at the circumstances of your life, you have every reason to cave in 
you have every reason to throw your hands up in despair. But the peace of God uh, guards the heart and the mind of the child of God. Garrisons you in with military protection. That's the word that's used there. It's the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. When he describes believers being protected, guarded by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Daniel is facing the threat and the pressure of being thrown into a den of hungry lions simply because of his faith, but he's not panicking. He's not giving in to despair. The peace of God is guarding his life. Uh, He's a man who's on his knees. Uh, He's a man who's praying toward Jerusalem. Now, what's the significance of that? Uh, Is it superstitious for him to do that? You know, uh, in Islam, uh, when, when, when Muslims pray, they always pray toward Mecca, in the direction of Mecca uh, in Saudi Arabia. Is that what's going on here? Is this a superstitious thing? Daniel's praying toward Jerusalem? No. It's not superstitious at all. Uh, this is really an expression of his faith in the Word of God, uh, his understanding of the Word of God. In fact, take your Bible and, and, and flip back Uh, Just uh, several books. Uh, Go to the book of 2 Chronicles for just a moment. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7. If we were to go all the way back in Israel's history to the, uh, the construction of the temple. You remember David wanted to build the temple, but because he was a man of war, uh, God didn't allow him to build the temple, but his son Solomon builds the temple. And after the temple had been constructed, Solomon sort of holds a dedication ceremony uh, whereby he prays and he he blesses the people and the temple and all of the utensils of the temple are devoted to the worship of God. But several times in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, as Solomon is making his petition known, as he's praying to God, uh, he uses the, the, the phrase, Uh, your people who turn to you, verse 24, acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house. Verse 26, when heaven is shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, you will hear from heaven. You will forgive them. Down in verse 29, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction, his own sorrow, stretching out his hands toward this house. Same thing is said down in verse number 32. Um, uh, when, When the worshiper comes and prays toward this house. Verse 34, when they pray to you toward this city. So the idea is, in the dedication ceremony of the temple, uh, Solomon, in his prayer, is acknowledging the fact that when God's people sin against God, and when they humble themselves, and when they pray in the direction of God's temple or God's presence within the temple, The idea is God will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sin. He will bring healing to their land. You you know 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. The same thing is said. If my people who are called by my name, God says if they humble themselves, uh, if they turn from their sin, if they pray 
if they seek my face. That's what Daniel is doing here in Daniel chapter 6 as he's praying toward Jerusalem. It's his understanding of the word of God. Uh, Before him, the prophet Jeremiah had said that God would be faithful to bring his people back to Jerusalem after their captivity. So Daniel is in the midst of pressure, but he's on his knees. He's claiming the promises of God as revealed in the word of God. He's praying toward Jerusalem no matter what was happening there in Babylon around him. Listen, that's what the peace of God in your life will lead you to do as a believer when you feel like the bottom is falling out of your life. So there's a fourth thing that I want you to see, not just Daniel's promotion and uh, his pressure and his persistence to worship, but notice, notice the protection or the preservation that Daniel experiences. Now, verse 11 says that the men, they come by agreement and they find Daniel making his petition and plea before God. By the way, that phrase, they came by agreement, you'll notice that it's used at least three times throughout chapter 6 to refer to these guys. It's the idea that they all got together and they came up with their plan uh, to try to get Daniel destroyed. Uh, They're conspiring together. So they knew where they could find Daniel. Once this injunction had been passed, they knew that they could find Daniel uh, in his place of prayer, on his knees, praying three times a day, just like he had always done before. There was a level of predictability and stability about Daniel's life. Let me ask you this question as a believer. um, Are you so firm in your conviction when it comes to uh, what you believe as far as the word of God is concerned? Your practices concerning the worship of God, prayer, regular time in God's word, your commitment to the family of God, the local church. Do people know where you stand? Is there a level of predictability in your life? Habits of holiness in your life? Well, there were in Daniel's life, these guys knew where they could find him praying. And so the idea is they're watching for him. Uh, to get down on his knees. They're looking for him uh, to continue on in his worship so that they can use it against him. And uh, so work behind the scenes to send him to the lion's den. So that's what happens. And then they run off and they tell King Darius what they saw. They basically say, Darius, didn't you pass this injunction that says no man could petition any god or man for 30 days except you? And isn't it the law of the Medes and the Persians? Which basically, in their culture, it meant that it was, an un, it was a written rule. That once the king made a decree, that decree had to be carried out and was irrevocable. And so Daniel sa- uh, Darius says, yeah, that's, that's the decree. That's what I said. And then verse 13 says, well, they answered, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you. You see how they're accusing Daniel here? You see how they're manipulating the situation to their advantage? Uh, Daniel pays no attention to you, king, or the injunction that you've signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. In fact, I think it's the, uh, the NASB uh, says that he still continues to make his petition three times a day. The idea is that there was this unbroken pattern in his life. It's not that he started praying once this law was passed, But Daniel kept on praying because this was the habit of his life. He's a man of worship. 
Well, verse 14, when the king hears these words, he's distressed. He sets his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labors until the sun went down to rescue him. Well, someone says, well, he's the king. Couldn't he just, you know, overturn his previous ruling? Well, in your mind, you would think that that would be the case. But in those days, whenever the king was to go back on his word or to overturn a decree or injunction that he made, uh, for him to do that would sort of uh, send the message to everybody in his kingdom that he was fallible, that he was prone to mistake. And see, they, they held their king uh, in a status of, of, of deity. They, they worshipped him almost as a, as a perfect human being who could make no mistake. That's how they viewed their king uh, in the Medo-Persian kingdom. And so Darius is working, trying to save Daniel in some way, but he's, he's, he's not able to do that. Verse 15 says that the men came by agreement to the king and say, No, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. No injunction that the king establishes can be changed. And so the king gave the command. Daniel was brought in. He was cast into the lion's den. And notice the statement that Darius makes to Daniel as Daniel is cast into the lion's den. He says, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. So Darius also recognized the fact that Daniel had been a man of faith. A man who continually served God no matter the circumstances of his life. And he's almost offering a prayer and well wishes to Daniel as Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Now here's the thing. You know the story, how the story concludes. Daniel is thrown into the pit of hungry lions. Uh, he is miraculously delivered. Uh, he's protected from the lions. All through the night, they don't harm him. They don't come near him. They don't touch him. According to what the text says, God had sent his angel who had closed the mouths of those lions. And Daniel is preserved, as it were, in the heart of the lion's den. So he's in a pit of death. But Daniel's not alone in this pit of death and despair. Because God sends his angel to close the mouths of these hungry lions. And all of this ought to be a reminder to us that the purposes of God in our lives do not so much involve him saving us from trials as much as they involve him saving us through trials. In fact, this is something that the Apostle Paul reminded the believers in Acts chapter 14. Uh, he had been in Derby and uh, Lystra. And the Bible says that as Paul was uh, preaching in Lystra, he was, he was nearly stoned to death. He temporarily left the city, but then he came back shortly thereafter. And verse 22 of Acts 14 says that he was strengthening the souls of the disciples there in Lystra, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. So in other words... Trials and tribulations and troubles and lions, dens, and th those kinds of things. This is all part of the plan of God that God uses in our lives as believers. I mean, we long for the kingdom to come, don't we? Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, O Lord. But you see, before it does, it will involve our own den of lions in our lives individually as believing men and women. And so that's why we've got to be prepared for those things before they come. 
It's not so much the purpose of God to spare us from trials, but to save us through trials. God very well could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. But you see, God's going to preserve Daniel. He's going to protect Daniel in the heart of the lion's den because that's where God demonstrates his power over the lion's. That's where God will demonstrate his sovereign power over circumstances that seem to be screaming the opposite. And it's an important truth for us to understand. Uh, Ian Duguid said that God is not committed to our comfort, but rather he's, he's, he's committed to our sanctification. He's committed to demonstrating his own glory in and through us. And very often that commitment means that he will subject our earthen vessels to pressures that would certainly shatter us were his grace not sufficient for us. He says God will take you into the eye of the storm to show you that he is the storm's master and that he can make your fragile vessel float safely through to the other side. And his plan for your life is to sanctify you through trials and through tribulations. So, so the hardships that we face, the persecution that comes our way for our faith, the disappointments and the disillusionment often that we experience in life, God uses it all as part of his plan for our sanctification and to make us more like his son Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. The Apostle Paul knew something about sharing in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And the idea is there's intimacy that can be experienced with God, knowledge of God that only comes through trouble, that only comes through trials. It only comes uh, in the lion's den of life. That's something that Daniel is learning. It's something that you and I are going to have to learn. So you'll notice as the story goes on, God delivers Daniel. Uh, Darius doesn't sleep that night. He's tossing and turning upon his bed. And early at break of day, he, he goes in haste to the lion's den. And as he comes to the place where Daniel was, he cries out in desperation, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And you can imagine the relief that Darius felt when he heard these words. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and before you, O king. So Daniel's brought up out of the lion's den. And things don't turn out so well for the conspirators in the story. They, as well as their families, are cast into the lion's den. And the lions fall upon them and they become food for the lions. There's one final thing in this text that I want you to see. And it's this. Notice the praise that Daniel inspires. After having gone through the ordeal of being in the lion's den... Uh, having emerged from the lion's den, having faithfully served God through the midst of the pressure that he was under, notice that Daniel inspires praise, and this praise comes from Darius. And it's not praise of Daniel as much as it is praise of Almighty God. 
So once more, in the book of Daniel, you have a Gentile king who's brought to a place of spiritual understanding, uh, who understands that God is sovereign, that God is the living God, that God endures forever, that his kingdom shall never be destroyed. So it's only as Daniel is faithfully suffering, even unjustly, and God preserves his life, God protects his life, God brings him through the lion's den, and Daniel emerges from the den victorious, that does something in the life of Darius who's observing this faithful servant of God. And it brings Darius to the place of spiritual understanding. And so again, what if our suffering in life ultimately is not about us? What if it's for the benefit of someone else who's watching? Someone in whom God is at work. Uh, someone perhaps that God is drawing to faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's what we find here at the end of Daniel chapter 6. And so folks, let me just tell you, there's more here in this chapter than just a story about courage in a cave of cats. This is so much more than just Daniel and the lion's den. You know, Jesus said that all, in Luke 24, he told those disciples on the Emmaus Road, he said that the law and the prophets point us to him. That it was all about him. Uh, the, the, the Old Testament points us, directs our faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Daniel and the lion's den, it's the story of a man who's in a difficult situation, not as a result of doing what was wrong, but as a result of doing what was right. It's the story of how God uses the unjust suffering of a righteous man to do something in the life of someone else. It's the story of a man who is accused, who's rejected, who's buried in a pit of death, who's dismissed by the world. But you see, it's also the story of a man who is vindicated in the morning. It's the story of a stone that's removed and a man who emerges from the pit in victorious life. And I know it's referring to Darius, but there's a clue there in verse 19 where it says, Then at break of day, the king arose. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered in an infinitely greater way than Daniel did. Uh, he wasn't spared from death, but he tasted death for every man and every woman. And even though he was righteous and perfect, Jesus was cast into a den of death nailed to a cross of wood in the sinner's place. And it was the prophet Isaiah who said that he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, uh, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Oh, but aren't you glad that the grave did not have the final word over Jesus Christ? Though he's cast into the den of death, the Bible says that it's on the third day that the Son of God arose in victory and power over death, over sin, over hell, and over the grave. And let me tell you, as a believer, no matter what dilemma you're faced with in life, uh, no matter what den of lions you feel like you're in in life, let me tell you, there is a lion king and he rules and he reigns forevermore. And the gospel tells me that my sins are forgiven. My life is in his omnipotent hands. And because of that, 
my future is secure. And you see, it's knowledge of this truth. It's knowledge of this truth that will lead you uh, to respond with confidence and hope when you feel like the bottom falls out of your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, let me just urge you right there where you are to bow your head, close your eyes, and cry out to the Lord Jesus in faith, confessing your sin to him, confessing your need, confessing your belief that he died for you on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again from the grave. You know, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm a whosoever, and you're a whosoever. Whosoever, no matter if you're a man, woman, boy, girl, no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you've done in life, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we bow and we thank you, Lord, for this story from Daniel chapter 6. Or the story of a man who suffers unjustly for doing the right thing. A man who's thrown into a den of death. But Lord, your presence with him and your preservation of his life. He emerges from that cave victorious. And oh, how it points us to Jesus Christ. And how it directs our faith to the one who is victorious over life who reigns and who rules forevermore. And Lord, our lives are in your hands, the circumstances of our life, the pain, the hurt, the disappointments in our lives, the successes. You're all using it, Lord, weaving it together into a beautiful tapestry of grace, using it for our sanctification, conforming us as believing men and women to the image of your son, Jesus. And so I make my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.